This is The Rounds Table. All right, welcome back, Rounds Table listeners. Uh, John and I are here to talk to you about two practice-changing trials related to chronic kidney disease. John, what's up first? So first, we're going to talk about empagliflozin in patients with chronic kidney disease. This was the EMPA Kidney Collaborative Group, published New England Journal of Medicine, November 2022. Impressive. You know I love SGLT2 inhibitors. Okay, what was the research question? This question was asking, does empagliflozin improve outcomes in patients with chronic kidney disease? Spoiler alert. It does. Okay, anyway, um, why is this important, John? Lots of reasons. So, I mean, chronic kidney disease is common and trying to slow down renal dysfunction, ultimately trying to prevent patients from having to get dialysis or transplant becomes really important. We know that some medications, in particular ACEs and ARBs, can improve outcomes for patients with chronic kidney disease. We also know that SGLT2 inhibitors have been shown to improve outcomes in patients with diabetes-related chronic kidney disease. But there's other causes for chronic renal dysfunction. So do SGLT2 inhibitors work in other entities? The question here is trying to answer that. Awesome. What was the study design? This was a randomized controlled trial, a double-blind placebo-controlled, 241 centers in eight countries. The patient population, so patients had to have had a GFR between 20 to 45, regardless of the amount of albuminuria, or a GFR of 45 to 90 with an ACR of at least 200 at a screening visit. Most of these patients would have been on an ACE or an ARB at baseline. They did exclude some patients, including those with polycystic kidney disease, and if you had a prior renal transplant. Now, from a procedure perspective, patients had a pre-randomization run-in for 15 weeks and they were given a supply of placebo tablets. And then after at least six weeks of run-in, patients were then randomized to either 10 milligrams of empagliflozin once daily or placebo. There were a number of different outcomes that were considered, but the primary outcome was the first occurrence of progression of kidney disease or death from cardiovascular causes. Now, this was a composite, um, and so when it came to the progression, this was defined as initiation of maintenance dialysis or receipt of transplant, or a sustained GFR decrease to less than 10, or a sustained decrease from baseline GFR by at least 40% or death from renal causes. And the sustained definition was based on two consecutive follow-ups at least 30 days apart. Uh, There were a number of secondary outcomes and this was an intention to treat analysis. Awesome, so really what we have here is a impressively large double-blind placebo-controlled randomized trial of individuals, some had diabetes, some did not, All of them had chronic kidney disease, and the primary outcome was this composite of first occurrence um, to progression of renal disease or death from cardiovascular causes. Is that right? You got it. All right. And what did the included patients look like? So they had initially screened about 8,500 patients, uh, and ultimately 6,609 underwent randomization. The mean age was 64, 33% of patients were women, 54% did not have diabetes. Now, for the causes of chronic kidney disease, about 31% were due to diabetes, 21% due to hypertension or renal vascular causes, and then about 25% had glomerular causes for chronic kidney disease. The average GFR was 37, and 35% of the patient population had GFRs of less than 30. The mean urine ACR was 329, and patients were followed up for a median of two years. Okay, I always have to look up um, the cutoffs for urine ACR. 
that sounds pretty high, but do you have a semblance of like what is sort of uh, moderate or severe? Or do you also have to look that up? Yeah, I I look it up every time to remind myself what the conversion is to like that 24 hour. Um, but, you know, moderate levels of proteinuria at least. Cool. Sounds good. I'm convinced. All right. What were the main results? So they had to stop the trial early, not because of bad things, but because of good things. The primary outcome, so progression of chronic kidney disease or death from cardiovascular causes occurred in 432 of the 3,300 patients in the empagliflozin group, that was 13%, compared with 558 out of 3,305, which was 16.9% in the placebo group. An absolute reduction of 3.8%, hazard ratio was 0.72, statistically significant. Um, we know there were a number of secondary outcomes. Uh, some of them included uh, finding lower rates of hospitalization in patients who are on empagliflozin. Uh, they did not show a significant difference in death from cardiovascular causes, specifically as part of a secondary out point, uh, outcome. Rather. Um, what they did show was that the effects were consistent among patients with or without diabetes, as well as regardless of what the GFR was at randomization. There was a signal that perhaps there was a greater risk reduction in patients with higher albuminuria at baseline. Um, and they also showed an effect that there was actually an initially a higher rate of GFR reduction in the empagliflozin group. But after 16 months, placebo GFR reduction was worse uh, compared with those on empagliflozin. Now, from a safety perspective, there were higher rates of DKA, so six patients compared with one patient in the placebo group. Um, lower limb amputations, they saw that 28 patients in the empagliflozin group compared with 19 in the placebo group. Uh, there were no differences in some other outcomes, though, like hyperkalemia, uh, acute kidney injury, urinary tract infection. Yeah, really impressive stuff. Yeah, a nearly 4% absolute risk reduction um, is really impressive. What are some limitations um, in for this study? I mean, I think it was a pretty good trial. Like, I guess maybe one of the considerations is that this data only goes into two years. So what happens after that? But I'm sure like, you know, that data is going to be coming out sometime soon. But I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's too many other things that I was kind of worried about with this trial. I agree with you. It's it's hard to criticize a double-blind randomized trial. Sure, you could criticize the composite outcome, but still, like those are clinically meaningful components of the composite outcome. So I agree. This is very impressive. Uh, Take-home point for you? Well, this study really shows that empagliflozin is associated with improved outcomes for patients with chronic kidney disease, regardless of whether or not they have diabetes. And again, that number needed to treat based on the absolute risk reduction would be 25, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Is this practice changing for you? I think so. I mean, we don't have a lot to offer patients with chronic kidney disease, but here's pretty clear evidence that SGLT2 inhibitors, in this case specifically empagliflozin, uh, are going to be an important class of medications for these patients. I 100% agree, right? Like obviously ACE, ARBs, they are really impressive. Uh, what do you do next? Clearly, the answer is SGLT2. And I think this study has also shown me in terms of the lower GFR cutoff for starting these meds. Uh, GFR 20. And I bet you could get away with a little bit lower than that. Yeah. And it is going to be interesting because there are also trials looking at lower GFR cutoffs, including patients who are already on dialysis. Um, you know, that data is not yet available, but that's coming down the pipeline. Yeah. Wow. What a blockbuster class of medications. And no, we are not sponsored by the makers of SGLT2s, 
But we do have a sponsor for the rounds table. Um, this episode specifically has been brought to you by Sault Ste. Marie Physician Recruitment and Retention Program, aka SUMED. Whoa, uh, we have a sponsor? I know, we seem so much more legit now. As you know, I've been locuming in the Sioux for the past seven plus years. Now, you've talked about the Sioux before, but let's hear some more. Agreed. Brittany uh, says I talk about it too much, but clearly our sponsors don't mind. So, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, locuming there. And as it turns out, they're hiring. They're looking for physicians in family medicine, internal medicine, surgery, psychiatry, neurology, just to name a few. And what about opportunities for trainees? Absolutely. We have electives available for both residents and med students, in particular family medicine residents, internal medicine residents. So if you want to learn more, you can reach out to us on Twitter or email me at mike.fralick at utoronto.ca. Right, listeners. Well, there goes the first sponsor, but they'll be back. I can feel it. And uh, back to the research. So we will keep talking about chronic kidney disease. Uh, and this study that I will be discussing was also published in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was called the Stop ACE uh, trial, uh, published in November 2022. All right. What was the research question here? For patients with a GFR less than 30, does stopping RAS inhibitor, be that ACE or ARB, increase or stabilize the GFR? Ooh, very interesting. Why was this important to you? Chronic kidney disease affects so many of the patients that you and I care for. And I think we, you know, we know that obviously ACE inhibitors slow the decline in renal function, especially for those with, you know, stage four, stage five um, chronic kidney disease. But it's unclear uh, among patients with a GFR less than 30. And I'm often faced with the question of, okay, now the GFR is less than 30. Do I stop the ACE inhibitor? I often do. I don't know if that's the right thing. Yeah, this is quite clinically relevant. Uh, okay, how did they do this study? This was a randomized parallel group, open label, multi-centered randomized trial in the UK. Uh, it was not published uh, or funded, pardon me, by industry. Um, obviously, why would industry want you to stop any of their meds? Um, the population uh, included adults with a GFR less than 30. And the GFR had to be falling at least um, two milliliters or more in the past two years. Uh, and of course, they had to be receiving an ACE, ARB, or both um, for the past six months. Uh, exclusions, uh, individuals with uncontrolled hypertension, or if they had a recent MI or stroke in the past three months. Uh, as noted, the intervention here was, do we continue the ACE or ARB? And the comparator was stopping the ACE or ARB. The primary outcome was looking at um, the GFR at three years, and it was analyzed with an intention to treat analysis. Okay, uh, so some of these patients could have been on both, is that right? I know, I couldn't believe that. I'm like, uh, on what planet are we giving both ACEs and ARBs? If there's one thing that Dave Yearlink has certainly taught me, it's that these medications cause hyperkalemia. You never want to give them together. So I found that surprising as well. Yeah, okay. Uh, so what did table one look like? So uh, they screened uh, 17,000 patients actually using a healthcare database, and they identified 1,200 eligible patients. They randomized just over 400. Um, loss to follow-up was pretty low at less than 2%. 
average age of patients was 65, 68% were men, uh, 15% uh, were non-Caucasian, 33% had diabetes, and 22% had uh, GN. And in terms of their renal function, you know, sort of 70% had a GFR ranging from 15 to 30. And of course, the other 30% had a GFR less than 15. Okay, so what did they show? So at year three, um, the GFR um, was reduced by 13 in the group that continued an ACE inhibitor or ARB and 13 in the control group, all right? So this rate of decline was um, almost identical whether or not you continued on the ACE or you did not. And what was really impressive was that the rate of end-stage renal disease or renal replacement therapy, this is a secondary outcome, occurred in 56% of patients who continued an ACE and 62% in those who stopped, right? So we're talking potentially a 6% absolute risk increase of end-stage renal disease or renal uh, replacement, albeit with wide confidence intervals and similar rates of adverse events. Okay, that's a pretty impressive secondary outcome. Uh, What were some of the limitations here? So this was an unblinded trial, uh, thus all sorts of biases can come up along the way. It was also relatively small, um, and this study was performed in the UK. Uh, who knows how well this will translate to other jurisdictions. Okay, uh, what was the take on? It seems really reasonable to be continuing someone's ACE or ARB when their GFR drops below 30, okay? It doesn't seem like continuing that is gonna lead to you know, a precipitous decline in the GFR or potentially adverse events. And if anything, it might improve the rate of end-stage renal disease or renal replacement. Alrighty, practice changing for you? It is, it completely is, because I think I was inappropriately um, stopping uh, people's ACE or ARB as their GFR, you know, sort of fell into the low 20s because I worried about the safety of continuing it. And boy, was I wrong. Yeah, I think, sure, smaller study, but like pretty impressive. I think keeping our patients on these medications are important. Yeah, and you're right. It is a small study. I just have so much respect for these authors because it's really hard to do a randomized trial like this and it's so beautifully pragmatic um and these types of trials you know you don't get any industry support for them so i wonder about how long it's going to take until we get another trial so for me this trial alone is enough for me to change my practice Um, but it'll be interesting to see what other studies show if indeed they are performed Yeah, sounds pretty good. November, good month for kidney uh, research, that's for sure. Totally agree. So now moving on to the good stuff, Uh, John, what's caught your eye recently? Uh, Well, I know you've always told me about that neighborhood cat that likes your backyard. This is a story from the CBC in Nova Scotia, and it's about Oscar the cat who uh, actually goes to a neighborhood hospice. And some of the patients at the end of life just really enjoy being able to spend some time with Oscar. It's a nice little story. We'll post it on our website. Right on. Yeah, there's also like a support dog that sometimes visits uh, Mount Sinai Hospital. I feel like it's great for the patients, but also great for the physicians and, and nurses. It's nice just to have a cute, cuddly dog walking around the wards. 
I love it when they bring those dogs around. And not to like uh, do another good thing, but did you see at Toronto General that there was a raccoon that had to be escorted out of the building the other day? I did. I did. It's funny you mentioned that because as I was thinking about the potential good stuff, I was thinking, geez, there's some sort of raccoon story on Twitter that I saw. So yes, I certainly, I certainly know what you're talking about. Um, so on my end, it's um, a video by uh, Glockham Flecken. Have you seen any of his stuff uh, on YouTube? He is hilarious. Agreed. Yeah. He has a really good video on uh, academic publishing where... You know, he's he's telling his friend, oh, he got this paper published. And his friend is like, oh, like, that's that's awesome. So, like, like they're going to, like, pay you for this? And and he's like, well, n- no, I I have to pay to, to get it published. And he's like, oh, okay, but, like, the grants are going to, like, pay for it, right? No, 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 like, I have to pay for it, even though I did the research and did the whole thing and wrote it up and blah, blah. Anyway, it was just something that I could chuckle about and cry at the same time as a clinician scientist. So it was good stuff, bad stuff, but overall good stuff because it made me laugh. That's great. I'll check that one out. Awesome. All right, John, take care and we'll talk again soon. All right. Talk to you later, Mike. The Rounds Table is hosted online at healthydebate.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Rounds Table. Thanks to our audio editors, Emilio Garcia Flores and Arjun Sharma. Also thanks to Amol Verma, founder of The Rounds Table, and Kieran Quinn, the previous director. We'd also like to give a big thanks to Seema Marwaha, editor-in-chief at Healthy Debate, for all the support.